0: There's something very interesting about the Hebrew letters, and we're going to talk about a little, the letters versus words. Now, in Hebrew, the way you write letters is from right to left, right? So, the movement is going from the right towards the left. This is the way you write words. Now, the interesting thing is that when you actually write the Hebrew letters, let's say an olive, a base, or a Gim, whatever letter you know, you'll see that when you actually start, you start from the left side and you move towards the right. So when you're actually putting letters together, you're writing from the right, moving to the left, but the actual writing of the letter itself is from the left to the right. So this is an interesting phenomenon. What's the difference? The difference is like this, that the movement from the right to the left which is words sentence and structure and the movement you go from the right to the left is a movement of chesed chesed is the right side right? so you're moving from chesed and you're bringing chesed which is kindness openness, expansion and you're bringing in Gvura, which is restriction so the basic orientation is that the, if you're facing forward your right side represents the Svirat of Chesed. The right side represents openness and giving. The right column, Svirat, the right column is openness. Versus the left side, which is also reflected in the hands. So the right side represents Chesed, open. And the left hand represents restriction, which is gvura. Okay. So you actually have like this, that when you actually write a letter itself, you're writing from left to right. And when you're writing words, you're creating it from right to left. Because the basic difference between letters and words, we'll understand this a little bit more deeply, but the basic difference between letters and words is that a letter on its own, let's say you take, even in English, you take, let's say, the letter A. A doesn't mean anything until you put another few letters to it and it becomes, let's say, and. But if you have the, the letter the letter on its own, it's not revealing to you anything. The only way, this is the way, this is the way we, we read, in order for something to become readable, in order to become language, we actually have to string together a few letters, and a few letters become a word. Which, incidentally, on a scientific level, um, there's interesting studies that show that when we, <coughs> last thing, when we actually read, we, um, we fill in the gaps. Let's say there's a word like and... If and would be spelled wrong, we would have an A and a D at the beginning of the end of the letters, of the word, we would read it as and, even if we wouldn't have an end in the middle. Because when you see something, you're seeing the beginning the end, and you're filling in the middle. It's it's a visual. What that means is that the most important letters in a word is the first and last word, first and last letter of the word. And then you have the, the words, and the words create a sentence. So when you take a letter on its own, a letter on its own represents a restriction, something that's concealed. And then when you put the letter together with another letter and another letter, it becomes a word, and the word becomes whatever it's revealing. Let's say the word's and, so you know what it means. But if you have this, the letter "a" N, and then a D separate from each other, it doesn't really reveal, reveal anything to you. So the difference is that letters themselves is gvura, from left to right, and words are from right to left, those words are revealing. Now this also works on an even deeper level in terms of when we actually read. Let's say before we read something, if you open up a book, before you read what it says in the book, before you read what it says in the book, the the words don't mean anything, which means that there's a constriction, there's a concealment. The moment you read what it says in the book, you are reading meaning to these dead letters. Mm The letters, is, let's say A and D, or Olavei Kimmel, whatever the letters are in this book, in this text in front of you, before a person reads these letters, they're just letters. If you read them, right, they're just strung together a bunch of different letters, and doesn't mean anything. But once you read them, it becomes a word, and so you're giving life to those letters. So the Baal Shem Tov teaches the first teaching comes from the first Zareb, but The second idea, he talks about the idea of Hamtakas Adin, sweetening of judgment that how do we sweeten judgment? So we know that the traditional thing, sweeten of judgment means that we feel that there's certain levels of constriction within ourselves and there's certain things, let's say, that are not working out or there's illness or relationships, whatever in our life that we feel that there's din, this constriction, and we want to open up the constriction. We want it to be a divine flow of chesed. So the traditional thing to do is to take, let's say, a book of Psalms and read Psalms. That's the very traditional idea of to read them. So the question is, what does the reading of the Psalms have to do with take, transforming your state of constriction and opening it up to a place of chesed? So the first the first shot, the first literal interpretive level of what that means is because when you take a book of Psalms, for that matter you take any text, but you take a book of Psalms, before you read it, this din, this and by you reading it and understanding what you're reading, you're creating damtakasadin, a sweetening of the judgment. And now, this these letters that just were form, form of it on a piece of paper that had no meaning now all of a sudden they have meaning. So there's a sweetening of that judgment. There's a revealing of chesed in that din. So damtakasadin, the, the sweetening of the of din, they're very complicated techniques that were that were revealed by the arizal. By the Ari, read, by Isaac Luria, of how to create Hamtaka Saddin, how to sweeten judgment. If, Let's say you feel like something that's constriction in your life, or there's something that you want to sweeten. this complicated different types of Yechudim, of different meditative names that you're supposed to meditate on. The Baal Shemda says this, it's very simple. All you have to do is read Psalms. Because what you're doing is, the actual reading of prayer is creating Hamtaka Saddin. That you're, we'll try to take questions afterwards, is the idea of Hamtaka Saddin that it's it's sweetening judgment just the idea of actual reading it. In the reading it itself, it depends what you're going to read. Let's say for example, a person is struggling with with livelihood, with a, with a, with a job. So then we'd say that you would take a passage in Psalms or let's say a passage in the Torah which talks about livelihood let's say for example, the idea of the mana, the story of the mana and you would read it. So what you're doing is two things. First of all, you're taking a text that before you read it is constriction, right? So even though letters, when they're formed together as words, is already a, a sweetening of a constriction. But until you actually read them, it's not yet completely sweetened. So you're sweetening judgment, and then on a, on another level, which is that you're connecting your situation to a particular text. So you're reading the source of that. Issue. So let's say, for example, if it's livelihood, and you're reading about the giving of the man, so you're saying that the source of all livelihood comes from the Creator, you're reading about that story, you're opening up the channel that talks about livelihood in the Torah, and that's how you're opening up the sweetening of judgment in your own life, but you don't have livelihood, you're opening up the bringing of livelihood into your life. On a more Kabbalistic level, if you don't want it to practice itself, on a more Kabbalistic level, all the intentions and all the different types of Yechudim Unifications of the various different sacred names of a god and all different types of letters and formations that they are re- formulated essentially what they are, and sometimes you look at these, uh, these manuals or let's say a kamea or something that someone wrote and it says a bunch of string together, a bunch of different letters. The secret of these letters is very simple. These letters are acronyms or letters that are found in particular verses, which is, let's say there's a verse that talks about the giving of the man, a kamea, a, 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 an omen to to carry around if people do this would be to take let's say the first letter of the of the verses that speak about the giving of the mountain. So when you look at it, you see a bunch of random different letters together. But really, what they are is encoded the verse that speaks about that particular issue. So that particular issue, and this is all the the sacred names, all the is all about that is finding out which verse. Some people know what the verses are. They can find it. Other people just see a bunch of letters. But the, the, the intention is that you're connecting yourself with that particular reality. And because the Torah is the root, the spirit, the metaphysical root of everything that occurs on a physical plane, we say that we open up the channels on a metaphysical plane, we open up on a spiritual level, so we open up the then therefore we receive the sweetening of judgment in our own particular area. If you're looking for a shiddach, you'd let's say, read the story of Horatius, the beginning where Adam and Eve found each other, or they, they met, so that's the the idea of reading something in the Torah, it's, it's where the source is, And you're also not just reading it where the source is, so you're saying this, I'm connecting it to myself where that source is, but what I'm also doing is I'm actually practicing and I'm I'm takasadin, a sweetening of judgment in my own situation. I'm saying the situation that I am present in in my life is very constricting. This is the situation I want to change. How am I going to change this? I'm going to to take a text that before I read this, the text is dead, there's a lot of din, there's a lot of concealment, it's, it's constricted. After I read it, I understand what I'm reading, I'm actually cre- recreating and opening it up. That's why it's also important, if it's possible, to try to read it in the, the original language, because that's the, the ultimate source, of course. If you can't, you can't, but at least to, to read it, even if you don't understand, even to read it is, is powerful, because what you're doing is you're opening up that that channel. That's the idea of Hamtagas Adin, the sweetening of judgment in our own lives, just by creating letters, creating words, then by looking at the words and then reading them we're actually creating a sweetening of judgment in our own life and take specific issues that that are related to the specific situations that we have in our lives and relate them to that in particular and then use that verse or those verses to recite them over and over again and do so in a way that you actually understand what you're saying because that's the sweetening of that Judgment itself in the text, and that's the way it brings the sweetening of judgment into your own life. This is the way it would be done in the form of reading that you're actually reading. You're taking the, you're taking letters that have constriction; it becomes words. It's less constriction now that you're reading it, it has meaning, and you're doing a sweetening of judgment in the text. This same same type of practice is also could be related. To the way things exist in the world of speech. That just like reading creates an opening and a sweetening of judgment because it gives meaning to text, the same thing also in terms of our own life. Inwardly, without actually reading something that's outside of ourselves, there's also an idea of expressing something in words in order to bring it down and to make it real. So, for example, without actually reading, if someone is troubled with some issues that you have in your life and and you understand, on an intellectual level, in, in your own mind you know exactly what you want and what you need and uh, how you have to change your, your life in order to receive that, it's also very important that we actually speak about it, that we actually express it in words, because the words is the way it becomes revealed. That's the same thing. When the thoughts exist within our mind, it's still in a level of concealment. It's alam it's the it's, it's in a concealed universe. I can enter into your thoughts. It's there. But when you reveal it, I'm not talking about revealing it to anybody. I'm not talking about to actually talk about it to somebody else. I'm just saying to talk about it even to yourself. To reveal it to yourself, that's the way you bring it down. And this was a, This was a practice that has also spiritual connotations, and we'll try to understand this. In terms of our own life as well, even on, on, for, for other purposes, <sighs> there, is, there was a great teacher called Rav Nachman of Breslov, a great Hasidic master, who was a grandson, a great grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, lived in the, in the late 1700s, 1772 was his birth. And Rav Nachman taught a practice that's called his Now, the literal word of his or his bodidus, is the word badad. Badad means to be alone. But the practice is actually to separate yourself in order to feel the presence of something. So it's not actually that you're separating. You're separating. um, This could be done either literally that you're literally separating yourself from other people practicing it. Or his buddhas can be done even with amongst other people. But you have to just be careful that no one thinks that you went crazy. So maybe you should do this in a... Proper environment, but the idea of the hispodedut of this practice is that Rav Nachman feels, and this is a practice that has roots many, many years before Rav Nachman. Sefer and even the Mishnah Berurah, many, many greats have throughout the ages have spoken about this practice and said that this is a very healing practice. The idea is to, in simple words, it's the idea to express whatever you're feeling whatever is going on in your life at this moment, to express it in front of God, to speak to God, to have a conversation with God. This is normally a one-way conversation. It's not a a dialogue. (laughs) So if you start hearing voices, maybe you shouldn't. (laughs) But the idea is that you express yourself in front of God, in front of Hashem. And Rav talks about the way a person would express himself in front of a very good friend. So how would a practice simply be done? You just separate yourself physically. Let's say you go out into the fields or you're driving alone in a car or you're home alone in the house and you basically start a conversation and your conversation goes whatever, however it goes. It's not really important. Whatever is bothering you at that moment you start speaking about whatever is bothering you. It can be physical problems, let's say your toes hurting. It can be relationship issues, it can be financial issues, it can be love issues, it can be spiritual issues. If like you don't feel close, whatever is going on in your mind, Rav Nachum talks about making sure that everything that's going on in your mind you're speaking, that you're opening up about. He says even if you lost the button, that was a, a very important he didn't thing. didn't think it made up for No, yeah, no, no, that was also literally. <laughs> Even if you lost a button, a button then was a very important thing. But if you lost a button, you can say, oh, "I've I lost my button. I'm really upset. That i lost my button." And the idea is really to feel open. This is part of the same sadin, It's part of the same sweetening of din. What's the 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 the, the entryway of this practice is that whatever you're feeling, whatever your whatever you're whatever's going on within you, you allow to to express it. Whatever it's whatever's occurring now. He says, let's say, for example, if if um, you're very doubtful, you start doing this practice. Let's say you go home tonight and you start talking and you close the door and you start saying everything that's going on in your mind and you know you feel like as if Hashem is listening and you're really speaking to God and, and you're, you're you're expressing everything. And I'm sure within some, some period of time you may actually question yourself, like, who am I talking to and if, if God's really listening and what am I doing? So Reb Nachman says that also should be part of your practice. In other words everything so if you feel doubtful you get up there and you start talking you're saying who am i talking to and why am i talking and is this is really helping that itself can be can be the conversation like god oh, i'm talking to you but i don't know if you're listening i don't know if i'm doing anything i want you to you know you understand so you're making that part of the part of the conversation itself is your doubts and it's very important because this is a very um in the traditional way remember